Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. dedicated to Henry Farmer. In the year of the primal the mammoth and horse, man was the lord of the earth. He made him an oil skin from the heart of an holy tree. He compassed the earth therein, man was the lord of the sea. He controlled the vigorous steam, he harnessed the lightning for hire, he drove the celestial team, and man was the lord of the Well, 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 my friends, this is episode 66 of Agitators Anonymous, and I am Alan Averill. I've spent a week off the grid, and I recommend you all, if you can, try and put down your weapon of choice and get off from behind the screen and go and try and do a little bit of living with the people that you kind of like, maybe you love, who don't annoy you too much. What can I say? Or maybe that manage to tolerate you. Whatever, whomever, however, this is Agitators Anonymous. Now, this is going to be um, an interesting episode in that I'm getting a lot of questions from people for the last um, couple of weeks, a lot of direct messages. I'm doing a lot of sort of bonus Q&A podcasts on my Patreon because, oddly enough, a lot of the things that I've been talking about for the last year and a half are starting to fall kind of into place. And a lot of people who are... Doubting Thomases are going, eh? Eh? Really? Oh, okay. So, huh? Etc. Etc. Um, so this is going to be the audio of an interview I did with the Into the Necrosphere podcast. There's quite a few metal podcasts popping up here and there, and they don't really cross-pollinate. It's one thing I've noticed, for example, about comedy podcasts or this kind of thing is they all have each other on each other's podcasts you know this if you're used to watching um we all started maybe watching the joe rogan podcast but you'll notice he's been the kingmaker of many uh, a comedian etc etc and metal and music if you look at the top 100 podcasts there's precious few that are done by musicians that's just the way things are um 
and generally when I we release an album, you know, with Dread Sovereign, there's an awful there's press a lot, not as much as when there is a primordial album. But there's not that many podcasts that I do interviews with. However, this one was definitely worth sharing, cross-pollinating, so to speak, on my own podcast. It was a very long, very interesting, very engaging, kind of fiery chat I had with Into the Necrosphere podcast. So what I'm going to do is this is going to be an interview uh, with me by Into the Necrosphere. Um, There's a lot of things... I suppose, that people have been messaging me about for the last while, addressed within it. And, of course, it's done in a sort of... Obviously, it's an interview, so it's not just me speaking into the ether. So things are um, being batted back and forth. There's a bit of confrontation. There's some fiery stuff going on, as I said. And I just thought that maybe once I looked over the audio of this, I thought, this is something that I should put on my podcast. And like I said, I've been off the grid for a week, So normal service of my bitterness and grumpiness will be resumed next week as I got a lot of things to say about what's going on. Anyway, so episode 66 will be a chat between me and Jackie from Into the Necrosphere. Go and support his podcast and his YouTube channel. This will not appear as video format on my YouTube channel. You may go and have a look at the video on Into the Necrosphere's YouTube channel, but it will be up as an audio on my YouTube channel. And there's more things coming there as well soon as we head into another autumn of uh, uh, could be sort of lockdown. Guess we have to see. Right, I'm in an annoying mood and I'm obviously annoying everybody. Let's get on with it. Interview with Into the Necrosphere. Episode 66. That was that was actually one of the one of the uh, reasons I was keen to talk to you. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Primordial anyway, but, you know, you've been one of the probably the most outspoken free thinkers in the scene i think you know and given the you know your 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 podcast you have a platform to be able to do that as well but i think it's been it's it, it's been very refreshing to see somebody like you kind of stand up and speak out over the last um you know 12 to 15 months um in a in a sea of you know what i think are often well intentioned but not very well thought out opinions if you uh, if you know what i mean um, yeah, I mean, you know, the reality is uh, that this, the format of doing something like a podcast or speaking, anybody who knows me knows that I generally have a lot to say. Um, and the fact that um, it's a perfect medium doing the podcast. But yeah, I mean, within two weeks of this happening, uh, this whole emergency um I sort of said to myself, right, I'm going to die. I think I know what's going to happen. And um, I better start um, a speaking out um, honestly about it, trying to be rational perspective, a rational perspective on things, hold the line to for somewhere in the middle between each sides of the argument, but also try and approach. Well, I consider skepticism to always be the rational perspective on every single thing to never assume good faith um, on yeah. behalf of the institutions of power and state. That's just a naivety on a, a scale that misreads history that I just can't comprehend. Um, and so it suits me to do this. But yes, I agree with you. There's been a, a, a dearth of people, voices who, um, and I don't even consider myself to be particularly extreme in my opinions. I just consider them to be um, trying to literally sort of step outside of the emotional bubble that most people view things or, as I said, to not take things on face value as being um, 
<laughs> why, why would institutions of power and state and pharma and agency give a shit about you? They don't. Yeah. They never, they never yeah, did. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, I mean, look, it's, it's, it's been a weird situation, but, and I think I've probably tried to hold the line with presenting some of the views that I uh, would put less faith in as well. But, um, yeah, it's been, it's been strange, but not many musicians have been speaking out about what's going on, not even in context of how the, all this affects the music industry, which let's be honest, it kills, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. And I want to talk about the music industry as well, but I think first, first of all, just on a sorry you i um oh, keep going. Keep oh, no i was just i was just going to say on a on a purely you know human level how have you been doing um you know outside of the podcast what have you been doing to keep yourself sane over the last you know 15 months um well i mean i've been doing a lot of running um i mean look in ireland they club they put padlocks on sports pitches so um, there was a huge period of time, five or six months, where they wouldn't open gyms. You couldn't literally go and play football. People were scared into not doing that. So I put my time into the podcast, writing some other music. But um, it's been, I mean, look, it's been very difficult, especially living in the center of a city. Um, if you were out in the countryside, there were certain amenities and I suppose uh, rural ways of living that allowed you to be insulated from some of the effects of the pandemic. But living in a city, it sort of affects everything. For the first few months, like Dublin was literally like 28 days later. I mean, mm. it's just homeless people and junkies everywhere. Um, and just people camping, you know, everywhere in all the kind of, you know, doorways of buildings. And yeah, it was pretty grim. Things have, op you know, things have changed a little bit. The city is a little bit more life, but I mean, you know, if you walk down, anybody's visited Dublin, if you walk down Grafton Street, 60-70% of the buildings are not just closed, but derelict. Hmm. So um, the implications for city living in a post, well, I mean, people say post, but I don't believe that that really the, was going to happen. The new normal. Yeah, are very, yeah. very, um, they're very profound. You know, if, you're, if you have a, a house in the countryside, and of course, mo don't forget, many of the people making the decisions that affect how uh, we all live through this, not only, of course, are in uh, very obviously the bankroll of big pharma, but these are very often middle class people who have the garden to be insulated from this. Go yeah. to a like, working class area down the road here and people are cooped up like fucking battery chickens, you know, and you expect um, them to cope with all of this in the same manner. It's just, I mean, obviously, look, you don't expect that because as we've established, no one gives a shit, but, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I've I've experienced both ends of the of the stick. We uh, I lived in Kingston, in uh, kind of on the outskirts of London for five years. Last year in October, we decided that um, my my so my girlfriend's family have a, 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 a piece of land uh, outside of, uh, of basically between Oxford and Newbury, um, where she keeps her horses. There's like a small little, you know, I'd say probably like a granny flat a little bigger than a granny flat uh on the on the property and we decided we're going to move there um you know i can carry you know i can it doesn't matter where i'm based i can work wherever i i want to work and um you know over here we're kind of rent free but at the same time the the other big benefit of it is to your point when the when this the kind of post or the, the christmas lockdown kicked in i didn't really feel it you know, as long as I can, you know, I, as long as I could still go to Costco and, you know, get something to throw on the barbecue, 
Um, it didn't affect me nearly as much as it did when we were in Kingston, where over there, it's exactly as you say, everything is desolate. You know, you kind of see one after the other shop not being able to stay open, you know, restaurants shutting down. Everything just kind of grounds to a halt. And, you know, my my big concern is, you've mentioned this on your podcast too, I can already see them setting the table and laying the groundwork for the next big lockdown, the Delta variant. Sure. There always seems to be another variant but the the variant always seems to replace the the the, the flu cases that have suddenly dropped in mass uh, in a particular country, and I you know now I'm noticing you know I'm from South Africa originally I'm noticing back home in South Africa there's another lockdown now they're talking about locking down you know all of Australia there's parts that are already locked down it's winter over there so my immediate thinking is how many misdiagnosed flu cases are being reported as COVID over there and all of a sudden it's hysteria. And so are we going to go through this endless cycle every single winter when when as soon as flu season kicks in, well, this must be another variant. It's got, you know, some symptoms of COVID, which which on, you know, as an aside, the the symptoms appear to be so broad. Um, I mean, I actually had COVID um, and I had, I mean, my, my problem started with having, st- you know, stomach issues. I, I thought I had a stomach bug, finally got got tested and it turned out that I that I that I had COVID. But yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm I'm kind of going off on a tangent, but you 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 kind of get what I mean. Well, I mean the thing that people have to, I mean, the thing that I always say about literally every everything is that, and the idea that there's one narrative is um, naive and ill-informed. There are, if we say, for example, how did the First World War start? You could say it was you know uh, Gabriella Prince shooting Franz Archduke Ferdinand, etc. But there are many, many points that lead up to that. There's many other, there's thousands of books written with different angles to it. You know, um, the idea that there's only ever one narrative is a misreading of history. And so when I say to friends of mine who like have just been like, trust the HSE, trust the health services, follow the science. And you just go, look, there are other narratives at play. Anyone who says that there is not an element of this that is about social control is just wrong. Mm. There always is the idea of an of a biometric passport, which I was talking about in podcast one, um, which is 18 months ago, that is an element can be used as an element of social control, like in the UK, um, restrictions on protesting is an element of social control. So Mm. anyone who adheres to one single narrative, and I include the people who would be called conspiracy theorists are on the far end of it, of either side, I don't really think the political, uh, this political spectrum really relates to how you view those things, but is wrong. There are multiple narratives all playing out. There are irrational, rational actors, different agents, all moving um, towards different things. And sometimes they coalesce to have, um, to have, I suppose, a common objective. And there are certainly a massive transfer of power and wealth that has occurred during lockdown. It's clear that Big Pharma has now created a, basically a health tax through which they can implement on the world at the behest of um, big tech, which, is, which will censor opposing voices. Um, and uh, uh, the state and government who, let's be honest, I think rather prefer a country where people are uh, consuming through fear inside their own four walls. Yeah. And I don't think that that's a controversial opinion. I think anybody, the kind of, uh, the people who argued with me over this a year ago are very, very quiet. Um, But as a student of history, the idea that them, there are more than one narratives at play. And also don't forget, there are some well-meaning people with good intentions who really thought this was um, a massive disaster. And I suppose on relative terms, it can be seen as that. But of course, once 
people, let's say, followed the Chinese model of um, dealing with this out of the gate and realized they could actually lock down Western societies. Don't forget the Robert Koch Institute from Germany in the, let's say, mid to late 2000s, 2007 or 8, had a pandemic plan, uh, which was a cross-European, uh, a cross-border European plan for a pandemic. It got thrown out the window within two to three weeks of the pandemic happening. And it stated within that plan that lockdown was undemocratic and un-Western. Uh, and which it is, and here we are, yeah. because democracy and civil liberties are suspended and paused. As, as J.P. Mencken said, the average man doesn't want freedom, he wants to be kept safe, and that's what we found very profoundly during all this. But there are multiple narratives at play. I'm not saying all of them are malign, or, or and, and all of them are not benign. It's clear that you're talking about people within health service executives who are compromised by their relationship to um you know, to big pharma, to these kind of things. And a lot of people, you know, are such as the Amazons of this world are profiting from their being locked down. And also just think about all the human stuff that's involved in this. Politicians who were initially scared, who this is beyond their pay grade, their middle management drones who got where they were by, by saying yes, but not from critically thinking or analyzing um, situations like this. It's beyond their pay grade, uh, were scared into what, you know, into doing this. And now they, as human beings, uh, cannot face risk or jeopardy and cannot mm -hmm. back out of it. And then in the shadows, a lot of rather authoritarian uniforms have been metaphorically dusted off. And people have gone, wow, this is a great moment to try and take social control. And that's before we even get to, is the Great Reset a thing? Is it not? Is it talk shop of billionaires? I'll tell you what, some of what's happening does look an awful lot like some of that, the restructuring yep. of society. Um, so I'm kind of, what I am is I'm an open skeptic. I always have been towards everything. I have no faith in the institutions of state governance. You know, I have some, but I'm always skeptical of motives of agencies of power. I always have been, this is me, this is not me being me because of the pandemic. I've been like this for 20 odd years and it infuriates people who know me, but I'm always being pedantic to the point of, analyzing every um, moment uh, to, me to, to make sure it inhabits the gray area because nothing is absolute on either side except what death and taxes, I guess. Um, and so that's how I view all of this. And I've been trying to put that into the podcast. Now to some people who don't want to think like that, it appears extreme, but I don't view it like that at all. To me, as I said, skepticism is the rational perspective and should be for everyone. And so it fascinates me that I have to say to some people, hey, has a bad thing ever happened in history? Yes or yes. Could this be one? Yes or yes. If it is, let's then talk about what it could be. And just those three things. I know it sounds like I'm being a patronizing cunt, but, you know, um, sometimes it has to be that simple. I, I, I was just about to say, I don't think there's anything patronizing about that, to be honest with you, because I, I feel like one of the things that has become incredibly apparent to me over the course of the past, I mean, it, I, I think it's always been there, but I, I think especially over the course of the past four or five years is how led by emotion the human race is, generally speaking. Yeah. Decisions are not made based on evidence or facts or any kind of critical analysis of something. And as you say, um, you know, the you you mentioned the the phrase conspiracy theorist earlier. Yeah. I it feels to me like like that phrase has been co-opted to effectively be a cudgel to beat up every single yeah. person yeah. who dares question anything that they see uh, uh, around them. 
Well, put it um, like this. Put it like this. Let's say post post Occupy movement, the, um, the 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 people that the Occupy movement rightfully cited as their enemy then co-opted the same movement in the last ten years through social media, siloed people into their other sides to fight each other, divide and classic mm. divide and conquer, and so therefore the idea that they created the idea created almost like a reddit forum created by state and governance of here's your conspiracy theories so now everyone can everyone who doesn't want to think about the situation that we're in can just go oh it sounds a like conspiracy theory and i go look a year and a half ago you were told it was bats to pangolins to fucking unicorns and now you get it fauci well, understand no no not yeah. you euphemistic yeah you. and I, I i i know what you mean but and i'm going I, like, I was hey, just about you get it like fauci understand saying to Rand Paul, yeah, kind of, the leaked emails. But people are like, oh, mm -hmm. sorry. <laughs> Rand, you know, Rand, Rand, Rand Paul has been, he's been, he's been given the, uh, the conspiracy theorist brush. And that's the thing. They, they tar you with that brush and then immediately your, your opinion is moot thereafter. And they, they very rarely will they retroactively acknowledge, hey, maybe that person had a point. To, you know, you mentioned the, the lab leak theory. I mean that was something that was that was banned and would you get you banned permanently off social media for you know a significant portion of the start of the um, uh, of of the pandemic, but sure. but simply looking at the fact that you know when when the I mean the, the the first known variants of the virus you know started showing up in December maybe even earlier in China, they locked down travel from Wuhan anywhere domestically in 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 China but allowed it to happen externally. Yeah. The textile workers went to um, northern Italy. Yeah. So just looking at that fact, surely you would go. Something doesn't doesn't add up here. Yeah, it's you know, like it's, it's like I mean, look, imagine say I guess in the nineteen eighties, you think of those things like Union Carbide and stuff like this polluting rivers in India. If I haven't just pulled that out of my grey matter incorrectly, of yeah. course it's the fucking factory that's making uh, the pollutants that's polluting the river. Um, I mean, isn't it self-evident that somebody would go, yeah, maybe it's that building over there with the thing housed in that building that is actually the thing that's escaped. As of course, you know, um, what's his name on the, has done on the sketch on the late night show. Um, I should have remembered his name before I said that. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, basically, I think what happened is this leaked um, and uh, the virology community i mean look gain of function research was banned under obama um it seems like fauci moved it to china um and don't forget this is not that's not a chinese thing that involves people virologists from lots of yeah. areas um it escaped here we are they circled the wagons um people lied to cover i suppose grants funding uh and um yeah big pharma could implement a health tax on the world at the behest as i said of state and big tech i mean it doesn't seem that doesn't seem like a crazy thought to me in fact that was my thought almost instantly when this happened and people were like no it was a pangolin it's like what the fuck are you talking about but here we are like i you know like i said 18 months ago i banged the drum and said watch now what happens this is exactly what will happen and you know i i didn't want to be the cunt that was going like i fucking told you so but I'm not, and I'm not that because I don't want to be right about this because I want obviously things to go back to normal and I want to have somebody poke me in the ribs and go, ah, you went too far and um, I give me a beer and go, look, 
you know, fucking accept is about to play it, bang your head or whatever, which might still happen. And I'm not, I'm not close to the fact that in five months' time, this might have receded into the memory and we might have a, it, maybe it was a, a momentary two-year uh, period of complete hysteria and panic, which certain bad actors took advantage of and that it will receive. Like, I'm not married to the idea that this is the end of social, civic, society or culture. Yeah. Or, or, you know, I'm not married to that idea, but I do think that people need to maybe consider some of the broader implications of what's going on because it's pretty dark stuff. I mean, like our government here just announced literally the risk from this is open-ended and started talking about flu season. They're not reopening the country. You can't even go inside. Like they're holding the uh, 4.6 million people at arm's length over modeling that recently just said they, 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 300,000 people could get this by October and more people could die than the first wave. It's like, what the, where are you getting this modeling? There are zero deaths. There is less, I think there's less than 15 people in ICU in the whole country. But yeah. yet, anyway, sorry, I'm rambling on. But like, No, no, no. I, 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 you're, 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 you're kind of staying on track because it's a lot of the same things that, uh, that, that I've thought, you know, and as a side note, you know, Fauci to me is just the epitome of uh, the 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 unelected medical official stepping yeah. up, one reveling in the spotlight. You know, he's yeah. already obviously got his. Well, I don't know whether it's. I think it's yeah. been cancelled in the wake of the uh, of the leaks. But you know, he's he's gotten what most you know government lackeys get in uh, in you know as reward for faithful service, which is the the book deal. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, That's William great. Barr has just gotten one. Amy Coney Barrett in America has just gotten one as well, worth millions apparently, just to you know, pr yeah. most likely ferment whatever nonsense they want. They want to ferment, but Fauci had one. But I mean, you have these people that that kind of step up, don't follow their own uh, their own rules, and then tell the rest of us how to live. And I just I I find it staggering, staggering, but not unsurprising because I understand where people are coming from. There's only so much you can do against the government, but well, is there? It, it's it's amazing to me how things suddenly just flipped. You know, we were suddenly we were being ruled by people who have no business ruling us. Yeah. And well, I think what what surprises me is how how quickly people accepted it. That 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 to me is the one thing that yeah. that I'm I'm still like I it, it cuz it's not just it's 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 one thing to accept the circumstances, it's another thing to accept the servitude. And yeah. the servitude for me is like it became it, it very quickly turned from this is unfortunate to if you don't go with us, you're a scumbag basically and you want to kill yeah. grandma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so you know, you you've mentioned it a second ago as well, you know, how people were you know surprised about stuff you're saying that now has turned, you know, turned out to be true. You know, again, one of the stuff that they love to 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 label people like you and I with that that think slightly differently or, or at least would like to think critically about something is oh, well, you're far right. I can't believe it. You're one of the yep. far right. You're just like Alex Jones. Yeah. See, that's, that's, if you think about that, that's the perfect divide and conquer. Um, let's say social media, through social media, the companies that, and the multinationals and the agencies, like I said, who were um, the Occupy movement were against, obviously sat down and thought, how can we co op people and divide and conquer? And so, through the social media, and some of it, it was a natural process which created and siloed people into thinking that. Um, and so, yeah, somehow liberty and freedom became became the occupation of the far right. It's it, which is incredible. But I think that what what it's so complicated. But I think an element of the comfort of collectivism appeals 
to this sort of um, a kind of socialist mindset that we can see in identity politics or the modern new left, let's say, yeah. i.e. that um, you're in this for the greater good. And so therefore your personal liberty or freedom is, 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 can be sacrificed on the altar of the greater good. Now, there is an element, obviously there's a trade-off between those two things. I'm not naive enough to understand that or to not understand that that if this was a very, very serious pandemic, then yes, you would have to trade some of your personal liberty for the greater good. I'm not that naive or stupid, nor do I believe that that's not entirely true to some degree. But once it became clear what this is, then we couldn't peel back. And I think an awful lot of people, once they'd done the emotional lottery of supporting health services in the lockdown, to say to them, hey, there's no, you're not gonna win. There's no, there's no lottery. You can only lose. Once you've emotionally mm -hmm. invested in that, now, I'm not emotionally invested in these arguments because that's not really the kind of person that I am. Whatever the touch of sociopathy that goes with not being emotionally engaged is something that I prize because I think it gives you um, a very clear, rational perspective on yeah. things regardless. But I think it's it's just been a, a classic case of a sort of, you know, Stalin used to say, tell the public something for two months and you can have them for 20 years. Um, and I think that there's there's so many things to unpack with what's been happening. There is an element of society who like this, who are comfortable in this, um, an element of people who maybe were losing at life, who um, they now don't have to negotiate the complicated um, you know, network of interpersonal relationships, of failure, of having a job they hated. And I mean, look, in Ireland, people are being paid the same amount of money to sit at home, smoke weed and play Xbox as they were to accept it from a job they hated. Now, I loved what I was doing. So the fact that mine is gone causes me great fucking existential pain. But for a lot of people, they didn't really give a fuck. They hated their boss. Um, they, don't want, they don't want to fucking work. And I get it. If you were packing shelves and somebody goes, hey, take two years off, here's 350 quid a week, which watch now as that turns into UBI. Yeah. Versus income watch. If, that, if those three words come in, you need to worry even more. Yeah. Um, and so there's so much to unpack with what's been happening. But I think you were right in the sense that I even even I've been shocked at how tacit and compliant people have. And it just goes to show you if you if you present people with an invisible fear or an invisible enemy, they don't really know how to react. And it piques all of their emotional um, reactions to um, what's been happening and the ability to try and sense make. And also, don't forget, you're trying to sense make of nonsense. The amount of yeah. people that said to me, follow the science, and I go, you don't understand what the word fucking science means, because the concept of science is that it updates itself with its rational observance of empirical data. So the modeling that uh, Anil or Neil Ferguson did last March is wrong. You, you know that's wrong. The modeling of NEFET, our people, uh, our um, treasonous health officials here, um, who are obviously in the payroll of well, to me, they are. Um, you know, that should probably get me into trouble. But um, it's clear... <laughs> I was about to say, how dare you? But no, it's, what's clear is that they've just done a modelling, which is it's vast on its scale of how many people are going to get sick. And you're like, hang on, isn't a section of the percentage vaccinated? So what you're saying is that vaccination now doesn't protect people against this new variant that nobody is dying from. And so their modeling data is wrong. Some people tell me, follow the science. And I go, follow the science as sold to you by who? Haven't you been watching the last 18 months and the models have been wrong? Yeah. The, people who don't understand, again, just like saying conspiracy theorists. And it's like, 
you're saying the word conspiracy theorist because you don't want to think about this and you want to put mm. me in my place. So I try to say to people, don't be angry at me for the things that I'm saying, even if you agree with the things I'm saying, because you dislike me. Protesting the protester is, again, uh, you know, an intellectual cul-de-sac. Yeah. If, if, the, if the greater good is liberty and freedom and trying to understand a situation, put your, put your petty prejudices aside and try and get right to the fucking nub of the issue. Sorry, I'm blah, 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 you know. No, no, again, You've caught me after my fifth cup of coffee. But I do agree with you. In our, and we're sitting here with sarcophago and mayhem shirts, and I do find the, the sort of reticence of the, even the metal community to, of people to even discuss it. The virtue signaling going on on social media of, oh, I got my vaccine and this kind of stuff. Oh, God, yeah. And the inability to kind of rationally observe, like, what's going on? I mean, I've, I've had some music industry chats with a lot of people who are, like, really, really fucking worried. Like, we might be done here. Hmm. Um, uh, but yet that, I don't see those stories in the mainstream media. And certainly in heavy metal media, it's just like, let's just ignore this. Um, anyway, sorry, I don't know what you were going to say. <laughs> no, I... I, I... Oh, you know, again, I want to talk about music in a second because the the, yeah, the infiltration of the the virtue signalers and the woke in in metal, especially weirdly enough, like black metal and things like that, is I mean, I find it fucking sickening to be honest with you. Because yeah, to me, it's so antithetical to everything that I love about the scene, and it's it's antithetical to everything that I think the scene should should be about. It, it uh, it's sorry, you were gonna say. Well, I mean, black metal ruined punks, and punks then said about ruining black metal. Actually, that's that's a, that's a perfect way to describe it. And don't get um, me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I I love old punk and stuff, but a whole generation of people who were bored with what punk had to offer because it wasn't offering very much musically, kind of looked at black metal and went, "Wow, Doctor and Burzum is doing something pretty cool." Then they got into the yeah. scene and went, "Oh, look at these idiot moronic heavy metalers. We should set about culturing them and." changing their ethics and which is fine you can have your cascadian black metal or your punk black metal it's fine no problem but once you start moving into cancelling bands um being opposed to freedom of speech i'm a free free speech absolutist because i understand very clearly even though that has flaws the alternative is far far worse and all the people who uh, advocate for censorship don't really realize that the, the decision doesn't stop with them yeah. At the train you've started rolling will eventually come for all the things you love. Yeah. That's the nature. The nature of the of the power that is behind that um will come for the things that you love in a in a free and supposedly democratic society. If you want to live in North Korea or under a communist eastern east you know rule then okay you probably will get your wish and your reward but um go and ask some people who lived under that for 50 years and see how uh, the, how they got along with the Stasi. It's just, it's, it's again, it's an intellectual cul-de-sac. It's an, it's a level of intellectual deceit, cultural deceit. Um, I understand if you, if that's not for you, don't listen to it. If you don't want to go to a show, don't go to it. But it's, it's just, you know, it's, um, it's antithetical, as you say, to the original um, blueprint of what that kind of music is was but i understand yeah. that in the context of modern society that was it was it was an inevitability that that was going to happen anyway there is yeah. room for all those things if you want to make um you know um if you want to make this that you know put whatever words in front of your black metal that's up to you um do whatever you want but 
And once you start deciding what other people should or shouldn't hear, look, listen to, I mean, censorship is the cornerstone of tyranny. Yeah. Um, and even if you think you're doing some sort of good, you aren't. There's no, yeah, yeah. no moment in history where that was ever, yeah, you did a good job by censoring the debate, censoring free speech, censoring art, censoring culture, censoring those. You're, you are a, han, a willing handmaiden for tyranny. And so while I, while I understand the concept of free speech absolutism, absolutism has its problems, um, the problems on the other side are far greater. But I, yeah. I understand for most people, if you're, if you're 20 and you think you understand the world and you look at someone like me and go, look at this fucking middle-aged fool, um, I'm going to show him. I get it. I was 19 at the same time. Um, it's just maybe to have a to have a little bit of foresight. I don't know. But you and I, I think, are about four years apart, and I, 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 I've, I've often reflected on this because, look, when I was younger, I, I know, especially now, I know I was full of shit, and I know that I, I, much of what I know now or that I could speak speak to now. I thought very differently when I was young and it's only through experience and through, you know, you know, knowledge that you, that you develop a better understanding of things and you develop an understanding of how the world works. But I do feel like social media has done one thing for the, you know, I mean, it's done many things that, that I think are detrimental to society, but I think when it comes to the youth in particular, it has given them the, it's created the false sense of certainty amongst them. Like when I was young, I was full of shit and maybe part of me didn't realize the extent to how far that went but it but i did know i did have an awareness look i still have a lot to learn i feel like a lot of the 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 youngsters that i see now especially in this in, in the in the in the metal scene but i mean it's, it's all over they seem to 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 sort of have embraced their ignorance as though you know this is i i have the answer this is the this is uh, this is a fact and this is the way forward you know without naming any names the number of, of of people that I see, you know, in this little sub segment of of metal Twitter, you know, which is the biggest fucking cesspool on the face of the earth, that are you know open about, you know, embracing communism and this that and the other. It's like you 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 you're tweeting from your middle class white home about the the greatness of communism. If you if you're this dedicated to the cause, pack up and move to North Korea or move well, to China. I think. I think one of the things that I think you're perfectly right is that we're on a, I think we're in the end of a or 10 year cycle of um, derangement by social media. Now I have cousins who are 17, 18, 19, and you realize they literally their entire life has been mapped out online and generation Z, I guess, which is um, people born after 2000. Um, they're the first generation. It would seem, I was listening to somebody talk about this the other day who, and they said they're, their understanding of the world is informed by people who are their own age yeah, and whose opinions are um, instant. Now, when I was 18, I was reading um, the books that my father had for the previous however many decades. You were reading books by historians, by you were reading books from the 1950s, from the 1960s, from the 1920s and 30s or whatever. You were looking back through history. Whereas an entire generation now, because of what social media has done to them, and, don't, and I, I don't blame, or I don't fully blame these kids. You know, I've spent time, as I said, with my cousins of the same age and trying to understand how it must be to um, literally live in a sort of headline society where, you know, that appeals to the emotional narcissism um, of uh, in the instant nature of social media that affects your way of judging the world. 
and your way of interacting with the world. And because so many of them have had like parachute parenting or haven't been allowed, I suppose, free play, haven't been allowed all these kind of stuff um, to work out decisions on their own. Many of these young people don't seem to be bothered, that bothered with lockdown, for example, because mm. I don't think their insular way of looking at the world through this screen doesn't, the idea of liberty and freedom seems something that belongs to another century. And so I don't entirely blame them. But yet, of course, we can't completely absolve people of blame. But I certainly think that when I was 19, certainly I was reading books, not just reading headlines and looking back through history and trying to actually study history. And I think that very much now young people want to burn the house down. Um, the mentality is we're here, we're now, we're looking forward, we want to change everything. And being part of uh, a revolution, I'm doing parenthesis here, um, is appealing, especially in an age when people don't have uh, social groupings, they don't have hobbies. You know, their activism is like a teenage hobby. And so yeah. you also realize that you're, um, you have power. Ten of you can get together and get a tutor fired. Yeah, on Twitter, uh, because institutions, older institutions, have figured out how to deal with this, and because they caved into people for the last ten years, that's the precedent has been set, and so you real, it's a really, really strange situation. You realise the generation who have been, like I said, who I don't entirely blame, but who have been indulged, now can wield power without understanding the context of history, and so it's yeah, it's very 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 problematic and i hate the thing that is also work. i i i frequently i think about if if the if our current age has birthed these fucking miscreants can you imagine what their kids are going to be like <laughs> so. uh, but, you know i mean it might write itself so to speak and they might react against their parents for, for for the things that they did i mean again we can't take ourselves out of the context of how we related to our parents yeah. I mean, my, my grandparents, were, you know, fought in World War II. They were English. And so how they related to their sons and daughters who um, had the 1960s countercultural revolution. We, we, can't, um, we can't fully blame young people um, for being within the moment of history that they're in. Um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, so you can't, if, you, if you've sat and you, I mean, look at, I, I mean, I say it to my friends now, I was like, you shouldn't be putting pictures of your kids up online. Facial recognition, yeah, at least allow and at least allow your kids to have some, um, let's call it online privacy till they're old enough to decide whether they want to be online. People don't just people don't see it like that because they're just they're proud of their kids. They want to show them. Here's my kid, you know, kicking a football or whatever. I get that. Um, it's very hard to neuter all of the emotional impulses mm. that social media just constantly provokes within people. Um, I suppose you have to have a form of, as I said, sociopathy to try and disengage with those. I don't know. It's 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 very difficult to. Um, again, what infuriates people who know me is that you find all of the grey area in the middle. I, I never like the sexy black or white answer. I don't like the absolutism yeah. of people who have claims to certainty. Of um, it's got to be this. Like let's. I mean, like say for example. The Syrian refugee crisis. We could make you know. There's been probably a thousand different points of view on it. One of the um, mitigating factors or uh, instigating factors was, um, it would seem, rain. The weather in the desert in Syria 
Yeah. It did rain for X amount of years, forced people in, uh, you know, in the countryside to move to the city. The city was mainly full of Alawites. So there was a religious difference once people migrated into the city, then they marched for bread. And so I like to go into the really, um, the weeds of the kind of really boring, mundane things that other people don't find as a sexy answer. No, it's the NGOs of blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's also rain, rain not falling in yeah. the desert. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, I understand most people don't have the, well, maybe they do, they don't, I don't know. They, they, the, the time and space to really analyze everything to the point that it gets into that gray area. But that, that's part of the reason why we're in the situation that we're in. Yeah. You mentioned the the sociopathy, and I and I I often I only, wonder. I only, I only say that to a fucking you know kind of poke people. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, the, 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 there is a point to that, right? So yeah, I, sure. I often wonder whether is that is that the difference between being led by your emotions and being led by principle? Because again, to your point, you know, you if you were led by if you were led by emotions, the first thing that you would have seen. If you thought back to the Syrian uh, refugee crisis, was the kid washed up on the beach? Sure. You know the very famous yeah. photo of the, and it, it's terrible. I mean, I've got yeah, a yeah. daughter. Sure. I, I, you know, I think when you're a parent, Bill Burr said it once. You, you're going to go through the. You, you know, you're a parent when you frequently find yourself in random situations, just you know, having to yell yourself down like, ah, shut up, I don't want to think about that anymore. Sure. <laughs> you know, so it's a terrible situation. But actually, like I said, if you stick rigidly to to principle. Then you think through actually, okay, what 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 did this you know what actually caused this, but likewise, you know, and what what does an influx of refugees into a society that is foreign to them and that doesn't share you know that that intrinsically doesn't share their culture and values? What do, what are the what 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 would the knock on effects be, on both sides? You know, on the on the Syrian uh, community and on the and on on the community that they've gone into. Well, and again, yeah. I think I think that 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 most people one of one of the things that I've 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 reflected on over the last couple of years, and I, I think you've really seen it come out in the last you know probably the last four or five years. I heard some of the other say uh, the other day say people abandoned their principles. I don't actually think they had any principles to begin with, you know. And I don't want to sound like I I have you know particularly low estimation of the average human being, but I do because. I don't think most people have any sort of thought through principles. You can look at the way that they think about uh, politics. You know, I, I I was raised in a in a you know quite a politically um, you know tuned in house, in yeah. part because you know we were in apartheid South Africa. You know, my parents were quite you know were quite strongly on the side of reform, changing the country, and things like that. And so, from a very young age, they started educating me on politics and what everything meant. Um, but one of the things that I always was 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 taught and I've kind of abided by all my life is, number one, there is no politician that you're ever going to agree with, ever. If you do, something is fucking seriously wrong with you. And secondly, when it comes to voting, you need to, you need to assess your principle and your position on all of, you know, on, on, a, on a variety of issues. You know, what are your views on the economy? What are your views on, uh, you know, domestic issues, cultural issues, whatever the case may be? And you align yourself, or you align your vote to the the, the candidate who's most who, who most closely fits what you what what you stand for. That doesn't happen anymore. No, well, I think that most people don't have kind of forgotten. I suppose the principle that politics is a game of compromise, and yeah. that um, in a, in a world where everyone is told that the answer is that they are you know they're validated for being right, and the answer is 
either extreme this way or one or the other way. The, what happens is the middle ground gets sort of um, destroyed by either by the by the small percentage on either side who have the loud hailer, because yeah. that gets that's what gets um, well that's what gets clicks. Once you look at a, a mainstream media, it's been incentivized by clicks. A moderate man says reasonable thing is not a headline. And so, whereas before we voted for, you know, politicians to make difficult choices, but they were either statesmen or stateswomen who understood the breadth of history. Um, maybe now politicians are encumbered by being caught up in memes and Twitterization of it's everything is so instant because that's the society, the atomized society that we live in now. And so I think like I, I often say sometimes like I'm politically homeless which surprises yeah. people, but I try and hold the middle. It's just that um, the middle has kind of been destroyed or been re repackaged as um, elements of extreme from both sides. Uh, and so, because it's just not interesting to people, it's not a sexy answer to go, well, actually I'm trying to hold the line in the middle. Um, on some things I'm economically conservative, on some things culturally I'm, I'm quite liberal. I mean, like, like many people, uh, I'm, well, not many people, but I'm nuanced. But nuance hmm. is not something that delivers clicks. And so yeah. we're beholden to a very, very strange moment in society where big tech platforms are bigger than states. Like if the Irish government wants to do something or other and it goes, it contravenes um, what, I mean, look at what, look at Sweden. Sweden decided, no, we, we're going to go our own way with this lockdown stuff. And the amount of media stories in every other country, we had them here, uh, which were kind of um, sort of like, you know, look at these traitorous, treasonous Swedes who mm. want their grandmothers to die, this, that, the other. And I knew people who didn't really understand the argument who almost took a little bit of glee from, oh, look, Sweden isn't doing so good. And I was there like, you don't know what you're fucking talking about. Have you looked at the numbers? Okay, they're in the middle of, uh, the, let's say there's a league table of deaths and cases. They're in the middle. They didn't do as well as Norway. Yeah, true. This, but there's reasons for that. Um, there's geographical reasons. There's U European Union reasons. There's lots of other reasons. Um, uh, you know, ethnographic reasons, whatever we want to call it. But um, they're in the middle. But what they didn't sacrifice was all of their liberties and freedoms, which now everybody's kind of going, oh, hey, can we have those back? And like I'd said to people a year ago, any nation, city, state throughout history where the people handed over every freedom to agencies of unelected, very often, or elected agencies of power and influence, to say, give me an example of where they got, here you go, here's all the things you gave away back. That never happened, ever, in thousands of years. That's just not the way power works. And this is a complete misreading and misunderstanding of history, or even just a very simple understanding of like, um, as a kid in the schoolyard, if you gave the bully your fucking lunch money or whatever, you didn't get to go, hey, can I have that back the next day? <laughs> it's just it's a complete emotional misreading of history so yeah. i've forgotten what your question was by now <laughs> but, no, no, it's, but it's, it's I, I, grew up, I grew up also in a quite a political house with a lot of books um and quite conflict quite different viewpoints in my family like my grandfather would have been quite conservative but yet fought in world war ii against the nazis and stuff so he was kind of like uh, you know he i got a lot of his kind of politics here and there then my parents were kind of hippies and so but it was always arguments around the dinner table but always very civil arguments um and there was a lot of different points of view flying around and lots of different books and so um i kind of think be quite thankful for that 
idea that um, which must have come from somewhere that being skeptical is a rational perspective. And that's the kind of the way I approach every every claim that I meet. Yeah. Like say yesterday, the, the, our government announced a whole raft of contradictory um, contradictory measures. And you're just sitting around last night talking to my friend. I was like, yeah, but here's A and B and there's no point where those two ideals can meet. Uh, and I suppose when you are like that as a person, you take it for granted that other people are the same, but you then realize that like, oh, okay. People are busy. They've got their lives to lead. They, they, they don't have time to analyze every single detail. As I said, you're um, a father and stuff. So I'm not. And so my friends who are, are just like, I haven't got time for this. But unfortunately, what's happened is that our politicians have decided to hide behind unelected officials um, so as they can avoid risk and jeopardy and mm -hmm. just outsource the decision-making. And they've outsourced the decision-making to people who have an awful lot to gain economically and in terms of power and influence over this. So, again, I mean, look, there was what? There was this Hong Kong flu in, what, 1958? Yeah. And um, the English government came up with a solution pretty quickly. It didn't involve lockdown, by the way. And so did the rest of the world. And it and quietly just got on with getting on because people understood that this was part of the risk and jeopardy of life, which we in the West seem to have forgotten that that is part of life. Like, for what, 1,300 people die a day in the UK, right? Mm. 1,350, 1,400, something like this. There was one Tuesday a few weeks ago where one person died from this. So what were the other 1,299 people dying of? And why is there no outcry about that? Of course, you know, everything in measure makes no sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's no proportionality to any of this. And if you weren't going to try and eradicate death, by not living, then, you know, there, it, it's again, 0% makes no sense. And this comes back to the uh, my way of view, my view on society in general or in, of living in that there is no 0% argument, just like there's no 100% argument. You can't yeah. have 0% of this. That's not how nature works. And so anyone who um, is, you know, campaigning for 0% is either fucking stupid or on the payroll of somebody who has a lot to gain from there being zero percent yeah yeah um sorry that was another rambling blah. no well it, it it's it's another thing that's that's played on my mind recently so i i um you know i'm not going to ask you about your uh about your medical your, your 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 private medical decisions but i've 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 been so i i, I actually had a, an appointment to get the vaccine done i needed to change it for various reasons i've since started to hesitate rescheduling that for a couple of reasons number one you you mentioned it earlier, but the I I I am I'm struggling to understand why the the governments cannot provide us with an absolute target to say when this percentage of the population has been vaccinated, everything goes back to normal. Yeah. What is the point of getting the vaccine otherwise? The other thing that that you know increasingly concerns me. I, I literally got a, uh, a call with somebody an hour ago, um, and I was supposed to have a meeting with them, and they said, "Listen, I need to go to the surgery. I had the vaccine on, uh, I think the last vaccine on Friday, and I've you know had these spells where I kind of feel completely sedated and things like that." I I, I do not. I I don't think anybody they can talk about follow the science all they want. There's no one that's going to be able to convince me that they could have come up with a vaccine this quickly. And 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 for there not to be side effects, and I I as much I mean I'm not a I'm not a vaccine skeptic necessarily, yeah. 
But equally, right. people that, that 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 will point the finger and say, "Oh, well, you know, you're an anti-vaxer." Okay, how many how many flu vaccines have you had? Mm. So you know that that normally shuts them up pretty quickly. But I, I do. I, I, I actually joked with the guy that I was talking to saying, like, your story is doing absolutely nothing to decrease my vaccine hesitancy. I'll tell you that much. But biggest problem to me is if if there's going if the vaccine is supposed to work, why 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 do we not know of a target? Why why is everything open-ended? They I think the Prime Minister of Australia the other day, and I might I speak on a correction, he was asked, you know, what's your target on, you know, how many people need to be vaccinated before you know we we stop the lockdowns? He said, Oh no, there is no target. And well, then, as you say, now there's models coming out where saying, oh, in the winter, people are going to pick up this variant and that variant and the variants mutate. So if that's going to be the case, then fuck that. Then I'll wait until the vaccine comes out that, that you know, handles all variants. I think that I think what you're trying to do is you're trying to sense make amongst nonsense. Yeah. In the sense. And I, I mean, I'm being flippant. But what I'm what I mean by that is you're trying to rationally come to a conclusion based on all of these points of argument. And it is a very rational question is like, well, when do we get to um, a level of herd immunity or a level of percentage of once we I mean, look, once we've done the risk category, we should have been out. But I've been trying to say this to people is that you need to disavow yourself of relating one of those, those two or three or four things together. They aren't related necessarily. Mm. They are to a degree, but they also aren't. Because if you if you allow yourself to understand that some of this um, is about social control, is about cultural engineering or whatever you want to call it, um, societal engineering, then um, pointing line, having lines in the sand for which we work towards, um, which are then okay, here is here are your freedoms back because we've reached this target. That's not how it works. You notice the can is constantly kicked down the road um, because. Some part of it is incompetence, some part of it is grifting, some part of it is targets set by Big Pharma have just not been met. Um, and the just a simple unwillingness to just release the reins and let society go, to pull the plaster off and go, okay, we need to stop paying people this PUP to endlessly furloughing companies. Um, it's a whole combination of things. Like I'm not a, I mean, look, polio, malaria, um, the vaccines for those have done incredible things the last 100 years. I'm not against um, vaccines. I mean, you know, that yeah. makes sense to me. Um, it's the structure around it. It's the carrot and stick structure that's placed around it. But yet, I said this last September, October to people like, watch, they'll tell us the vaccines are the key to your freedom, and then they won't give it to you. And people are like, oh, once we get to the percentage, we'll be out. And here we are. We're not. Of course we're not because that was never the game. Then again, one thing doesn't necessarily correlate to the other. Uh, and so we just keep, it's like we're in a kind of feedback loop. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it is Western, not the, the rest, a lot of the rest of the world, which we don't hear about is a lot of, as for example, East Asia, Southeast Asia, they're not in this feedback loop. It seems to be a Western phenomenon. Now that's before we get to anything like the Great Reset and all that stuff of how much of that is a billionaire's talk shop, how much of it is folly. Um, you know, like a Victorian folly or something like this. When you see uh, BlackRock buying up houses, mate, yeah. you start to go, yeah. you know, that I, I, I immediately that line goes into, you know, pops up in my head, that fucking loser on the World Economic Forum video in 2016, you will owe nothing and yeah. you will be happy. Well, well, there's an element, I mean, if you, if you read the elements of Klaus Schwab's book, 
I'm not saying I've read his book, but I've read bits of it. And there's one paragraph which sort of um, kind of stuck with me. And it was just like, um, the society we have to create is one whereby um, you don't go out to go running. You go on your treadmill in front of a screen and you pick your destination. You don't go and visit your family. You go on the Zoom call with your family. You use the family WhatsApp group. You don't play sports. You play this. You don't go to, basically, you don't do anything human outside that has agency and movement because it's sold it will be sold to you as being um you know against the environment the environmental choices the climate choices stay inside consume inside replace all your human activity with um the online or insular version of it and then no one can look out what's happening and tell me elements of that are not what's happening yeah. that there isn't an element to turn i mean i can see it in my own city They've been hacking up the city, building outside dining areas. And I was saying, like, well, they're going to create a sort of dining apartheid here where vaccinated outside, vaccinated inside, or sorry, non-vaccinated outside. And everybody's like, ah, come on, Alan. They're just trying to give them more space to gain the money they got back. And I went, no, watch. And I was fucking right. That's exactly what they're proposing, to create a two-tier society or three or four or five or six tier society, because let's be honest, the vaccine uptake amongst, um, for example, um, ethnic and minority groups is very small. So we're literally excluding them even further from the society that we're creating. Uh, so the process itself, you one could say is racist. Um, it's all sorts of, like, there's so many things that are so complicated to unpack. Of course, there is also just incompetence and whatever else underpinning you know never put down to malice what you can to incompetence is a good byword for some of this but if the incompetence and malice has the same outcome for you which is that you have no agency in this world um i, I mean look we can see it in I, I can see it in my own city that all of these small businesses push to the edge and push to bankruptcy push to dereliction who takes over those buildings and what happens to them and why and and, and i have friends who are lawyers who are like yeah the, the small business thing that is in the Great Reset is happening. We know it. We're conveyancing those cases. So, I mean, look, I'm not, I'm not somebody who subscribes completely to it, but certainly to not know about it and to not try and rationally observe some elements of it. I mean, I, earlier this year, I went to Roadburn to sing for a little bit, just to talk about music for a moment. And I went within to four countries within certain days. I had a whole bunch of tests, PCR tests, this, that, the other. Um, and everywhere I went, I saw cops everywhere, every small business shut, no social society, no civic society, um, and curfew at 11. And I was just like, tell me this isn't. If anyone who would go from country to country to country and not go, wait a second, just fucking scooping the voice, there's something fucking happening. Yeah, something's not right. If Yeah, if you don't see that, um, you know, you're fucking either just doing an ostrich head in the sand, or you just, I don't know, whatever. It's but or you don't want to believe it. I understand that also to believe that your self-worth or your agency, your small business is it is not worth anything to these people is a very dark thought. But I mean, look what you're saying, you know, if the Great Reset, for example, is what it claims to be, then what it's saying to let's take a city in Europe, um, Naples, right? The ancient Roman city state. What, what, what it's saying to the people of Naples is, who've been there for whatever, 2,000 years, is your culture, your music, your language, your small businesses that you've built through generations, everything that this city stands for is now done 
over. Stay inside, consume through fear. Don't be human with each other. It's over. Cultural, social, civic society, um, as, as expressed by you and not at the behest of health officials and state, is over. Now, that's, you know, that's like the NKVD sitting at the front of the fucking opera um, mm -hmm. with Alan in the box seat. That's, that's an expression of that. It's like basically, now I'm not saying that that's exactly what's happening, but to not consider like, to not at least look into it and go, God, I wonder if they have a point, the people who are pointing this out, and then rationally try and observe what element of it. I mean, look, a gig happened opposite me. The first time anybody stood on a stage in Ireland in whatever, 16, 17 months, and everyone going had to have a test on top of whatever else they had. They, they painted white, squares on the grass which you had to sit with inside uh with an open air stage with 500 people in a place that would normally take about six or seven or eight thousand if at the, so basically your public expression and art and musical culture is now at the behest of health officials so they decide what you can and can't see and obviously they've decided you can't see very much and no, no tell me that's not fucking <laughs> eastern european and it's uh that's not like East Germany in 1971, that's exactly what it's like. And yeah. people need to disavow themselves of thinking, oh, it can't happen here, because it is. Now, again, to caveat that with what percentage is or isn't, um, like I said, again, we, we're still in a sort of purgatory of knowing or not knowing. And I begin, I've begun to realize that maybe the dust just doesn't settle on this. Maybe there's no moment where you go, okay, it's clear now what we do. I'm, I'm beginning to think that that moment, and I've been thinking this for a long time, this moment just doesn't come. My friend runs a bar, you know, they have a venue in the back of it, and he doesn't know if the gigs that are booked from September on are going to happen. And he says to me, I'm beginning to think I might never know. Mm. Well, are we leaving it up to a bouncer to check whether you're vaccinated or not? Or yeah, are they retraining people with health um, official status? Another boring thing for gigs and stuff is insurance. How are all these venues going to re-insure themselves against, um, you know, one case of something or other? Do they get the same indemnity we gave Big Pharma? Um, it's, you know, to be flippant about it. Again, it, there's so many banal grey reasons that make all of this such a, a complicated thing to try and work our way through that I understand people are just going, you know what, fuck it, Alan, I don't give a fuck. Um, I'm just drinking a bottle of wine every night and watching, you know, um, Home Improvement or Home Improvement. Who watches that? Um, you, you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's just that this is like I was like this before all this happened. For you, I've been like this. Oh, like this constant um, barrage of trying to contact, you know, of thoughts and ideas, and trying to contemplate how all of this fits in. Um, or doesn't fit in as the case may be. So I'm, I haven't changed. It's just that basically the part of the world where I was allowed to just do my own thing is, is gone. Yeah. So that's yeah. why I see more, it's like you sort of, it's like whack-a-mole or something. My head's popped up more often than not as usual or something above the parapet. Um, uh, but like we just said, it's you find that plenty of other people just aren't, they don't seem to be willing to poke their head above the parapet even a little bit. And I understand that the jeopardy is, quite considerable when you know somebody who'll watch this and go he said one thing i disagree with etc so 
but I don't know. Maybe maybe no one fucking cares. I don't know. <laughs> That's also true. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I'm fortunate with my podcast, and hopefully you are with yours too. I, I can hand on heart, and hopefully it stays this way. I can say I've never once had anybody give me any shit about anything that I've said. I, I can see what my demographic is as well. You know, I hopefully within that demographic, I don't have any fucking social justice warriors or anybody trying to to get me cancelled. I had someone once say, I had Nick Sagius from uh, Driver Pazuzu on, and um, you know, we we went down you know quite a lot of different um, different rabbit holes, including quite a bit about politics. And you know, someone said, oh, I hope you don't get cancelled. But yeah, outside of that's the closest I've literally come to any sort of any sort of criticism. Because at the end of the day, I, I'm with you. I'm a free speech absolutist. I mm. prefer having people that are you know prefer being friends with people who have different opinions yeah. to what I do. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I don't. That's, I don't that's- that's what society used to uh, used to be, you know. I don't, I don't, I don't begrudge anybody the right to an opinion, uh, and and equally, I concede that you know certain people need to think in a certain way or need to have certain aspirations. Um, uh, you know, I'd much rather talk to somebody about trying to find a middle ground and saying, you know, we might have differing views on the economy, but ultimately we're all trying to get to the same place. What what yeah. is the middle ground there? I mean, look look back at something like Gore Vidal and William F. Buckley or something and look at their, um, the incredible Best of Enemies or whatever you call it, um, documentary, and look at the debates they had. I don't think that would be possible in today's society, even on a micro level. Like, of course, I have lots of my friends disagree with me about this, that, and the other, but the idea that you can't talk to people from whatever varying degrees, like most people will find out when they talk to me, like, oh, that I have some incredibly um, liberal or left-wing views about some things, you know, um, um, culture, sexuality, all those kind of things. But then I have other th- ideas that are that they would say are conservative. But that's what, as I said before, being human is about. It's a nuanced point of view. I don't belong to your tribe or your tribe or any tribe. I just yeah. belong to my tribe. Um, and I try and evaluate what I see within each, um, the merits of each ideal, each stance, and, and try and not be driven by an emotional reaction to those things or to you know if somebody makes you angry they own you now i'm i can't say that i'm not without notwithstanding sometimes a bit angry and post things uh, every now and again i mean look it's like grandpa simpson freaking shouting at the clouds you know posting on facebook yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just a middle-aged bullshit talk shop but sometimes you have to throw something out there but i certainly don't do it like i used to do 10 years ago but at the same time Again, I always just say the same thing. Skepticism is the rational perspective. And if you aren't a skeptic, then you aren't rational. That's kind of how it is to me. I mean, I do understand. Let's say if we talk something like the health service, right? Health service executive. There's a certain amount of game theory that goes into the health service executive. You know, like something like the prisoner's dilemma uh, uh, idea. Um, They can't tell you all the truths because they understand how panicked um, the public at large would be because a great percentage of the public are not rationally skeptic or can't really handle the truth. So they're in a I was just about to say, they aren't emotionally equipped to handle the... the yeah. The, oh, yeah. So I understand they're playing a game where they're trying to spin elements of the story, but it's a very, it's a difficult game. And so they're, they've spun it too far, of course, in, in relation to this, in my opinion, but, um, at least when I speak to people, say about this, and I go, well, if we understand that, um, say something like th- there's a game, an element of game theory within the announcements that come from politics and the health service, 
then you know it's a game. So let's get over the idea that we accept every part of it as truth. And let's get in, dig down into what that statement is. So that's the problem I have with people is that trying to disavow them of the idea that they're not being lied to or they're not being, let's say more pertinently, you're not being told the whole truth as opposed to being lied to. So once we start off from that perspective, which is skepticism, not cynicism, I'm, I'm not a cynic, so to speak. Um, I think that's an important intellectual distinction. And once you start off from that point of view, that's how you view everything. Like I would have the conversations with my own mother. She'd talk to me about something and I'd go, well, what news source did you read that from? Look at the headline. How many times do they mention this word in the first three paragraphs that, so that you're being emotionally led to believe that? Um, uh, you know, who is the writer? What's their background? Now, I understand not everybody has the time to do that kind of stuff, but they're quick things. And then she goes, yeah, I see that. Now you see, look at the picture that's been framed within that story. Now that's how I look at everything. Yeah, yeah. I'm the always, same way. Oh, and I always did, you know? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm exactly the same way. What really set me off down that path actually was the, uh, the second Iraq war because um, it was right yeah. around the time that I moved to the UK. And I remember when things were getting in, in full swing, I, I, I looked at everything and I, there was just something that, that said to me, this is bullshit. There's something, there's something about this that doesn't smell right. And then, you know, obviously I, we don't have to go down that road because I want to talk about music a bit as well. <laughs> you know, lo and behold, you know, 20 years later, you know, the US has spent $9 trillion on a fucking futile, pointless exercise. God knows how much money has been wasted by this country. I mean, our, our, our military is down the, down the pan as well. But it's a, it's a, anyway. What you've said is a good example because um, you can use that line, WMDs in Iraq, yeah. again and again and again and again through the media so when i say to people who don't believe there's another narrative at play now i say remember the iraq war and you were told weapons of mass destruction weapons of mass destruction and how the the media um you know connected osama bin laden and saddam hussein who were on opposite sides of the religious um sunni shia view yeah. of, of of islam but they connected them i said how many narratives were at play there you accept that there was a deceitful narrative, so to speak, for which was the precursor to that. Now apply that same logic to this and think of the war there, which uh, the war for resources is now an emotional war to implement a health tax on the world. Could that be true? Yeah. And it's a, you know, to me, that's a very easy argument. I call it like a cul-de-sac argument. It's yeah. like, I think about it, I think about ways of, it's not very nice, I suppose, but of entrapping people within an argument that there is no escape from because you cannot deny the logic. So either you, relax, you react angrily or emotionally, but you cannot, um, at least, you know, not 100%, but like you, it's, it's difficult to argue against that because yeah, yeah, yeah. there wasn't any weapons of mass destruction. So anyway, no. sorry, yeah. So, so as we segue into the music industry, you, you spoke on your last um, uh, episode on uh, Agitators Anonymous about uh, the Matt Heafy example of how he's making way more money on Twitch uh, mm. than the, the, they make through streaming. There was something I'd read where they'd interviewed Derek Green and he was talking about how, you know, the the streaming revenue that a band like Sepultura make is, you know, it's it, it basically boiled down to it's unfair, it's too little, et cetera. Yeah. So in, in this kind of new milieu, how do you think it all plays out for, for you know, our scene? 
you know, do we do we get to a point where bands are going to just all have to become like Maguire and sort of <laughs> disappear underground and pop out with an album every now and then? You know, what do you what do you see happening? And do you think there's anything that the music scene can do to insulate itself or to to not insulate itself actually well, to, to guarantee its longevity? Well, I mean, look, let's be let's be clear about um, a conversation about the music industry. It revolves around the pandemic whether we like it or not i mean um if bands are not able to tour and play live and there are no festivals there arguably isn't really a scene um mm. you become a you become a um i mean i started a band to be in a room with people not in a room without people it's very yeah. simple i'm and like if there's no more touring or playing live there won't be any more dread sovereign maybe there'll be one more primordial album but you know but there's no reason, essentially, apart from, okay, the artistic impulse of creating, but then you make it and you are literally, you become a statistician, just watching numbers move up and down online. Um, and that's not why I started playing music. And I would say, I think you would see most bands that you love and know disappear. Um, you'll get young bands who um, still want to make music, who don't really understand the parameters of what's happening. But um the Rotting Christs, the Mardocks, the Mayhems, the whatever, take away playing live. I, I, I can't see, what, you know, exactly. But there's no economic principle behind continuing without playing live. I mean, 99 point, point whatever percent of musicians, um, just like the percentage of people who aren't affected by uh, the virus, um, uh, don't make a living from playing music. Sounds a little... A flippant comment. Um, <laughs> no, it's so it's but without playing live and touring, that's the kind of the percentage where people make their little bit of money. Yeah. Um, and you take that away. So every conversation about the music industry right now has to be caveated with if live music doesn't return. I mean, I don't know how a scene supports itself, because also you're probably saying then like in Ireland, they won't they can't play music inside. Because it because it promotes dancing, laughing, people talking nearer to each other. I mean, you know who didn't? You know the, the Taliban didn't like much like live music either. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, it's yeah. I mean, if that if this kind of nonsense stays, you're, you're talking about there won't be metal bars, there won't be nightclubs, there won't be anywhere to go and hear music. What sort of scene comes out from that? Is it just a scene of guys or girls just sweet picking, writing music over Zoom? Uh, I mean, if that's the scene, then I don't part of it anymore um so i don't know if you mean financially i would just say to people the only equitable site is Bandcamp. yeah um that's it I, i'm not saying everybody has to always but try and buy your buy your stuff from bands merch stores um i mean because the, the, the streaming the money you get from streaming i mean somebody like matt heafy is a good example i don't begrudge the guy anything he's made a very clever cottage industry out of being who he is um to an audience who were young who then grew up following him gaming and playing this and he wakes up and he makes his coffee and goes okay we're going to do something today and he has his audience good for him um but you can't expect like um musicians who've been doing it for 10 20 30 years uh, just to pivot to that to try and gain a few hundred quid a month and it takes up all your fucking time mm. like and also people wanted to make music within that time um and you're also take you've taken away for me i don't really you know i mean i like being in the studio ish 
but the movement, the traveling, the playing live is the reward for the effort that you put in within the studio. And so um, take that away and it's hard to see the purpose. I suppose it's the same as, well, it's, it's complicated because being a traveling musician is probably like the last thing that's going to be theoretically let out of the pen here. Like it's, you are the last in line. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Even, even somebody who paints or, uh, you know, an artist can have an exhibition online and painting is a solitary um, pursuit. Um, you write a book, you do it in, solit in solitude. No, you're missing your book tour, your interviews, your whatever. But you can still do that online, I suppose. But playing music and being somebody who has to play live um, and have that sense of, you know, communion, whatever you want to say, humanity involved in it, when that's taken away, it's very hard. There is no replacement for that. And I see it in our Arts Council here. Um, our Arts Council has no one like me on it, obviously. Um, more to the pity, but they are um, talking about, you know, building streaming sites in, in every city. So bands can come in and stream for free to their audiences. And you're thinking this is entirely like what band is forming to just stream? Yeah, There's no, yeah, there's yeah. no rehearsal rooms in every city. You should be building a nonprofit based um, live live venue, two to five hundred, which any band can book for free all across every city and town in Ireland to create an environment. You can stream from there if you want. Also, you should be encouraging people to come out to see a band, not encouraging them to not have any humanity in the process of making music. Um, but I understand there's probably there's probably some people there who are well intentioned who just think this is how we have to pivot or else we have nothing. And we also have to present proposals to get our funding etc cetera, etc cetera. but what you're doing is promoting an anti-human agenda which is mm. what i keep saying to try and get people to go oh yeah the idea that you form a band to rehearse on zoom with each other on a screen like this to then maybe meet to stream to an audience you've created only online to have no human process in it is um a dystopian nightmare for music and art and everybody who's trying to promote that should understand that mm. and like i said there's many people involved in the situation that we're in who are the unwitting handmaidens or the unwitting um servants foot soldiers for maybe a broader agenda which is what we've been discussing you know well and in, in uh in the communist revolutions they were called the useful idiots yeah, yeah, and 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 you know, I know you've you've read up a lot on history that you, we know what happened to the useful idiots when everything was said and done. Yeah, um, yeah. is a is a streaming show or, or doing some sort of stream anything that uh, that Primordial was tempted by or entertained? Is it something you would ever think about doing? No, no. <laughs> uh, we might film. We I could see us filming a rehearsal in the round, mm. and and discussing the songs and like a sort of more human element to it, which was sort of like, you here you are in our rehearsal, but as for putting on all the stuff and standing on stage and pretending as an audience, no, never. Um, I would rather uh, lose a digit than do that. Which doesn't uh, surprise me, by the way. I, I, yeah. I rewatched. Um... No fucking way. And you also notice how few bands are continuing to do it. There was an enthusiasm for it. And like, I yeah. don't begrudge bands who do it. Like, um, Ranzi Pazuzu made a good one. Uh, the Rotting Christ one where they did it, uh, the old songs was cool. Um, Catatonia did a cool one. I don't begrudge bands do it. I'm just 
not for us. But also, don't forget, in Ireland, we had no choice anyway because we couldn't go inside to stand on a stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was, it wasn't like there was some, uh, you know, kind of somebody goes, hey, we've got a stage here, blah, blah, we can go to it. Like, people just, people we had people had a five-kilometer radius for meeting. Anyway, that's that's besides the point. Yeah. But um, I don't begrudge bands who want to do it. I get it. You You want to do something to try and hold on to some element of being a creative person. Um, for like for me, it was the podcast, I guess, but um, no, I, w- I won't do it. Um, I, I would rather, I don't know, wait it out for three, four years until it comes back. I, I mean, I don't know, like I hear stories like, hey, there's a big festival in Germany next summer that is talking about antigen testing 18,000 people every morning. What? Yeah, before they're allowed into the main arena. I was about to say, so so the, the, the first band is up at nine at night. Testing starts at six in the morning. They, they, see, look, I mean, I understand that the whole situation might change in a month or two or three, but they're trying. I get it. Festivals are desperately trying to do anything to, to happen. But, you know, in this, if we believe that a percentage of some of this is about altering social culture, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, remains to be argued mm. about then the idea of 50,000 people gathering in a field from all around the world isn't part of that. It just isn't yeah. part of um, the reset vision of um, so, social and civic society. Uh, and so the idea that you know all of these festivals are going to happen next somewhere and be allowed, if there's a new variant, if there's a this, that, the other, I mean, it's unlikely. I hope to be entirely wrong, believe me, um, because another year of no vessels and touring will be a social circuit breaker. I think until we get to next spring, you know. Sorry, just bear with me one second. Yeah, this, yeah. Uh, this dog is, uh, there's a this stranger danger. Bailey, out. Oh. Oh. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I was just going to mention an observation. I, I, I recently watched back uh, the brutal assault clip of you doing as Rome Burns. And I mean, oh, yeah. you, I, I can't see you being someone who would stream because the connection you have with the audience is is so visceral and so intense. Yeah. Um, and, and actually, side note as well, as Rome Burns was a song that kept on popping up in my head every time I read the news <laughs> for the yeah, last yeah. 15, 16 months. It's like, you know, yeah. Alan, Alan knew. Yeah, <laughs> you, <laughs> we should, we should, uh, that should be the T-shirt. Yeah, your of, face, Alan knew. Yeah, I know. A lot of people have been sending me bits of my own lyrics, and I mean, I didn't, I didn't quite think this might be it, but um, you know, it's um, again all the lyrics throughout all the years have been imbued with my um, skeptical perspective of history and trying to get to the sort of dark underbelly of the machinations of history and trying to pull the pull the screen back or pull the, you know, the, the curtain back a bit, unveil some of the things that maybe um, have been moving or grinding the gears. And certainly the same mentality that wrote the lyrics is observing what's happening now, you know? And, and by also, I have been saying this in the podcast, by my own admission, people have to allow me a certain leeway to have lost my mind or to be angry and frustrated and be over the top and be hyperbolic when maybe it's not necessary because I'm still my own flawed human shell, you know, um, observing these things. And sometimes I'm privy to my own miscalculations and that, but that's part of being 
trying to hold the line in the middle is that I'm I'm not saying that um, my view on all these things is is um, you know it's always um, absolute because of course that would contradict my uh, uh, my view of <laughs> all of these things even my own views I I try and caveat them as I said with a kind of like look I could be losing my fucking mind here but this is what I see so um, yeah it's uh, you're not the first person to say that to me. <laughs> the truth is i was about saying it it, it it it's it's a i would imagine it's a very surreal compliment to be getting it's like hey listen we're it we're in the end times and you know i really feel like your lyrics <laughs> captured it really well over the years yeah kind of yeah i i i know you're i know you're pressed for time and and, and as am i so i want to kind of just ask one one final question you know aside yes, from yes agitators no. anonymous um uh, any any plans with Primordial? Any of your other projects uh, imminent, or, or are you kind of waiting for things to 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 kind of play out in whatever shape they they do, and then you kind of make a decision from there? Um, I mean, the Primordial started rehearsing new songs last September, and then everything got shut down again. Um, and since then, we haven't met each other. Um, like I said, some it's sometimes once the kind of circuit's been broken for a while, it takes a while to start the machine back up and move towards writing songs again. Um, so there's every intention of making a new album next year. But the thing about it is, is that if Promodial had a new album ready this year, I wouldn't release it. Mm. I wouldn't waste an, a, a, um, an album on this year. I already wasted a Dread Sovereign album because we couldn't sit on it anymore. About, you know, my other thing that I'm doing that is meant for playing live, like the whole music is designed for that purpose. Um, take that away, it's just, a good, you know, doom and roll, whatever you want to call it, album. Um, but with Primordial, I wouldn't, I, even if it was one ready, I would go, nah, we're putting this back a year or whatever, or two years, or because to be selfish about it, there's nothing in it for me. Mm. There's no agency, purpose, movement. There has to be that as the sort of, you know, the, the moving in tandem with actually just being creative. So we... Uh, there are lots of gigs announced for next year. I guess like everyone in the industry, we're just sort of in a kind of purgatory waiting to see what's possible. I mean, again, like I said, it might be that my most um, negative impulses about how things, how the cards might fall might be incorrect and it might be okay. It might be fine. You might have venues which just go, just show your card at the door, in you go, you know, mm. um, and that there isn't some, there isn't anything more than that. Now, of course, that in itself uh, has other issues, but um, it's, uh, again, like everyone, it's it's really difficult to know. Like I said, this festival that I've heard is, pla is planning that as just anything to get the event through the authorities. You can see Hellfest yeah, yeah. have announced a lineup that is so huge. They're basically daring the local authorities to cancel yeah. them. Yeah. Because yeah. that is a lot of money for that region come pouring into the area. Um, and they're basically saying that we're going to make this festival so huge, we dare you to cancel it. Now, what we've seen over the last 18 months, and this is one, you know, coming back to something you said very early on. And um, one of the things that's really shown to me is that art and culture means fucking nothing, literally. There's been no lobby that's been able to crack this open. Um, especially in a country like Ireland, where our government and the politicians lean into Irish culture, history, art, writing, um, playwrights, poets, music. They lean into that when they want to. They've done literally nothing 
but throw money at people. Okay, fair enough. But economics is not um, it's not the fundamental. Um, it's not the reason why art exists. You know, that's not economics. That's just business, um, and that's clearly you know that that's a sort of the contradiction at the heart of um, you know an arts council who just basically only has an economic impulse to try and throw money at the problem while giving people no um, artistic agency to deal with it. You know, I know that maybe sound, and it sounds weird to some people that you don't treat the two things as the same, but it's very hard to um, again like everyone. I think all of these industries are just kind of in a kind of form of purgatory. So I don't know, really. I mean, no one really does. I think if, even if you take something really as mundane as, um, well, not as mundane, something we took for granted as touring, if every European member state is moving at different speeds in relation to all of these processes of vaccination, different rules, different laws. I mean, passing from one country to the other, you need um, a PCR test or an antigen test. If you have to have a different test moving into every country in Europe and tour, there's no touring. Yeah. yeah, it, yeah. Just doesn't ha- it just doesn't happen. You can't, um, at a cost of what, a thousand euro a day for everybody in the van or the bus to go and get tested, wait on the results, miss a day, arrive, or do the venues ask for your proof of this, that, the other? Like in Ireland, they're proposing that you're going to need this antigen test on top of whether you're vaccinated or not to gain access to even the pub. So how does anybody go to a gig spontaneously? You just don't. And so imagine going, you're in a van full of people and you're going from Holland to Belgium to Germany, whatever. And let's say you get one false positive in that van, tour's over. Mm -hmm. So you can't plan for anything. You can't book a van nine months in advance and they show up at the airport and let's say, and airlines are going to do this. The government is going to say, hey, we are, these are our rules. It's not up to us what the airline does. And the airline are going to go, you have to go over there because we need to make the money back we've lost from the previous two years and get our um, rapid test for 50 euro. And let's say you get one false positive, drummer can't go, what the fuck do you do? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's really boring, mundane reasons why I think most people haven't thought about when it comes to the music industry, um, but they haven't thought about it and gone, oh, right, yeah, insurance, and you know um, what survives coming out of this, and also just like traveling, that they're really they're really simple, boring things, mundane things. People, just, people my people go, ah, people will always want to see live music, and I go, sure, okay. Yeah, the, the, well, the, the just just because the demand is there, being able to su- to supply to the demand might not always be there. So no, and I mean, like like I said, one of the things that's crystallized the last eighteen months, and then we can wrap it up. It's just like somebody said to me, Alan, why do you give a fuck about the theatre? You never went, and I go, why well, give a fuck about theatre? Because it's one of the oldest artist expressions known to us as people. Let's fucking draw a circle of sand. You act out something in the middle. We'll watch. This is one of the oldest artistic expressions and a cornerstone of our cultural civilization that you're just saying, oh, why do you care if it exists? I care because of those reasons. And if you are so divorced from culture and art that you don't care if that exists, then we're fucked, you know? And whether that's live music, writing, um, you know, I'm one of those people that think art is um, more important than creating a a 0% risk averse society. Yeah, I agree. So, because that's a society I don't want to live in. Yeah. So. Anyway. Yeah, and again, you you nailed it earlier when you said you know zero percent at the cost of living your life. Um, yeah. You know, it's always the trade-off, and again, I don't necessarily think folks think that through properly. But yeah. Alan, 
I, I so appreciate the time. Uh, absolutely awesome talking to you. And, uh, you know, no I would problem. love to at some point in the down down the road do it again. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, likewise for me, I was such a huge fan of uh, Exile Amongst the Ruins. Uh, you know, oh, I, I, would, I would hate for there not to be another Primordial record. So there, there, uh, will, be an, there will be another one. I'm, I'm pretty sure about that. Um, you know, as long as I don't, you know, get us banned and cancelled <laughs> in the meantime. <laughs> No, there will be another. There will be another record. Like I said, the the worst, uh, my worst version of what might happen. I'm not married to. Let we just have to see what happens. You know. Yeah. But well, listen, take care. Of, take care of yourself, and we will speak again very soon. I hope. All right, Chief. No problem. Bye bye. And that, my friends, is the end of episode sixty six. If you got this far, well, you deserve a medal of honor. Um, the show is sponsored by MetalBlade.com. Go and use the promo code ALAN and you will get 10% off your order. www.hatecouture616.com H-A-T-E-C-O-U-T-U-R-E 616.com Go there and also use the promo code ALAN and you will get free shipping. And last but not leastly, Eisenwald Records www.eisenton.de or .com Use the promo code ALAN and you will get 10% off your order. Thank you for paying attention to this long, this long episode. But I thought that the conversation was too good and too intense to not use as an episode of Agitators Anonymous. And it also got me out of a hole after spending a week off the grid. All right, go and fire synapses, my friends. Planet Satan over and out. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.